we are walking our way through the book of John, the Gospel of John. And if you've been with us for a while, you would have known that a long time ago, at the beginning of the book of John, it said that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word, Jesus, was with God, and the Word was God, and this Word became flesh and dwelt among us to do many things, but primarily to unveil God, to reveal God to the world. This word came, and Jesus spent three years of his ministry life, the first 12 chapters, the book of John, unveiling God to the world. But in the last month or so, we've actually slowed down quite a bit. In the last five chapters, we've just been concentrating on just one conversation that Jesus has been having with his disciples. 12 chapters for three years, and five chapters for just one conversation, the most important conversation in all of human history for understanding who God is. And tonight, we hit the very last section of that conversation. After this, in chapter 14, next week, Jesus is going to pray for his disciples, and after that, he'll be betrayed and executed. So the question is, in the very last section of the very last night, the very last conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples... After a three-year ministry, what would Jesus say? Well, to understand that better, we have to understand what he's been saying most recently. A few weeks ago, we saw that Jesus said that God loves the church, but the world will hate the church, and in fact, even religious people in the world will often hate the church. But Jesus says, don't worry, it'll be okay, because he will send the Holy Spirit to be with them, and the Holy Spirit will show the world to be wrong, and the Christians, the church, to be right. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit will come and play another role, and that role will be to actually guide Christians through life. Now today, he's going to actually say three things. He's going to give them a step-by-step instruction booklet of what's going to happen in the next three days in particular, but for the rest of history in general. He's going to say, you'll receive joy after great grief, and that joy will be made complete since you're going to have access to God himself. And he also says, with that joy and with his peace, you'll be armed to go into the world. There'll still be suffering, there'll still be trouble, but he will take them through that trouble to the stars. So let's look at um, what Jesus says in these different phases of his conversation. The first phase is he gives them a plan. And we see this plan laid out for us in verses 16 through to 22. So if you've got your Bibles with you, just keep one eye on your Bible and one eye on me, and we'll see what Jesus has to say. In verse 16, it says this, Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and after a little while you will see me. At this, his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me? And because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, Are you asking one another what I mean when I said, In a little while you'll see me no more, and after a little while you'll see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because of her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her great joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, 
Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Now, Jesus says some sort of complicated things, sort of confusing things, sort of repetitious things. And as we read that passage, it was a little bit confusing to even us. But we get what it's saying, right? Jesus is giving them a little set of instructions, a little bit of a, 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 shot, a plan of what's going to happen next. The disciples had two big questions. One was, what is he saying about in a little while? And the second one was, what does he mean he's going to go with the Father, going to be with the Father? So Jesus gives them a plan. He says, you know what? In a little while, I'll be gone and you'll grieve. And in a little while after that, you'll see me again and you'll rejoice. Now, for us who've been at church for a while, we, we know what's going on. And even if you don't really go to church that often, you know what's going on. It's, a, it's the Easter story, isn't it? In a little while, Jesus will die on Good Friday. And in a little while, Jesus will rise again on Easter Sunday, and they'll rejoice. Even if we don't go to church, we've been through public holidays for very, uh, many years in our life, and we know we get a holiday on Friday, and we get a holiday on Monday. And so we know what's going on. But for those 11 men in the room with Jesus at the time, they didn't know what was going on. I mean, Jesus has been talking to them for five chapters, saying, that I'm going to leave. And they've sort of got that. They understand that. But they're not quite sure of what's going to happen, what the pattern is. And so Jesus tells them, so that they can go through it, even though it's going to be hard for them, even though they're going to grieve, they'll go through it confident because they know that they're going to see Jesus again and their grief will turn to joy. And he, Jesus uses a very funny analogy. He uses an analogy of childbirth. Now, I think he's talking to 11 men here. Why does he choose the analogy of childbirth? Well, it's because the analogy of childbirth is so powerful that even men can appreciate what it's like. Now, I chose my words very carefully there. I said, even men can appreciate what the childbirth process is like. If you are a woman and you've had a baby, you will know that men do not have any understanding of what's going on, but we can appreciate it. Uh, I remember when Anne, my wife, was giving birth to our first child, Renee, who's now eight years old, uh, we went to the hospital, the contractions were on, and uh, it was a very busy night for some reason at the hospital. And so therefore, the midwife gave her two Panadol. I go, okay, that's pretty good for a start. But then things got a bit worse, and we, we sat on the bouncy ball, and then she went and took a warm bath, and, and it, then things got really bad. And we finally said to the midwife, look, this is, this is, this is really serious, it's going to happen soon. And she runs in, and she has a look and says, oh yes, it's, yeah, your, your baby's coming. But it's too late to get the anaesthetist. So the best thing we can do for you is take some of this gas. So Anne's like, oh, give me the gas, give me the gas. It's not working, it's not working. Tom, you try it. And so I said, let me have a try. It's not working. Oh, oh, hey. It's, it's, I think it's working. Oh, wow. Oh, oh, sorry, wife, baby. Right, got it. Right. So attend to your wife. And so, and as a bit of a, a tip, if you are a woman in here and you're thinking about having a baby sometime soon, I take it from Anne, don't be a hero. <laughs> just, just get the pain control, take the Panadol, take the gas, take the epidural, just, just don't be a hero, right? It's not worth it. But the pain is just so intense, right? And she's grabbing onto my finger, she pretty much broke my hand at the time, and, she was in, and her face was just all scrunched up in agony. And then after a while, Renee came out, and they wiped her down, and they put her on her chest, and her face turned from a scrowl from agony to just pure joy to just glowing. See, she didn't care what she'd just gone through because now she had her baby girl in her arms. And I think men forget this or men don't know this, but there's still a lot of pain going on in the woman's body after the baby's come out. But it doesn't matter 
because the baby is here and, and the, the mother and the father are rejoicing over its coming. And Jesus said, it's going to be like that. In a few hours' time, you'll go through the excruciating grief of seeing your friend and your leader die. And you're to grieve over this. But that's okay. Just like the mother giving birth, three days later, I will come back, you will see me again, and your grief will turn to joy at seeing me again, your joy in knowing that I've defeated sin and that, you, where, that they're going to be with him, and that joy will be so important, so front and center, that the grief will have passed. And these men, these 11 men, would experience that. They'd experience the grief of seeing their leader die, and they'd experience that grief of seeing their, these things of joy of seeing their leader rise. And this joy would propel them into the rest of their lives. They would go out and tell people about Jesus, about the truth of God and the love of God, and they would be cursed for it. They'd be punished for it. They'd be put in jail for it. And 10 out of those 11 men would actually be killed for it. But they did it with joy. What kind of joy is this that counts it a blessing to suffer? What kind of joy is this that gives a prisoner his song? What kind of joy can stare death in the face and see it as sweet victory? This is the joy of a soul that's forgiven and free. And they had this joy and it propelled them into the world, into the rest of their lives, and they quite literally changed the world. Now what about us? Many of us know this sequence of events even better than these 11 men did at that point. We know the sequence, we know the grief, we know the joy. I wonder, do we grieve that Jesus actually suffered and died for us? He didn't have to do it, he did it, and he did it for us. Um, I was at morning church, 10 a.m. church, uh, the week before Easter, and I was just speaking to one of the women there, and I was saying to her, how, how are you going? And she said, I'm sad. I went, oh, okay, why are you sad? Because I'm sad because... Jesus actually, in a week's time, 2,000 years ago, had to suffer and had to die on the cross for me, for us. And I thought, yeah, that's right. She's got it right. We should be feeling that grief over it. And in this particular Easter, uh, my two older kids were, uh, were quite attuned to time in Easter. And so we went to a friend's house on uh, the Thursday before Good Friday, and we went there for dinner. And we said to them, we're going there because we're going to celebrate uh, that Jesus was having his last meal with his disciples before he'd go and, and die for us. And so we were going to dinner, and they were saying, oh, what would Jesus be doing now? And I said, well, he's probably having dinner with his friends. And the next day, Easter Friday, they, they woke up, and we prepared to come to church. And said, what's Jesus doing now? Well, Jesus is probably being tortured, and he's probably being led to the cross. After church, they asked me, well, what, what would Jesus have been doing now? Well, I think right now, he would be dead. And then on Sunday morning, we woke up and said, what would Jesus be doing now? I said, oh, Jesus would have been risen. He would have had his conversation with Mary, and he would be alive, and his friends will see him again soon. And my kids were, oh, this is so good. It's so relieving. You see, if you're anything like me, we don't experience the joy of Easter because our lives are just so busy with so many other things. We've heard this story before. It doesn't impact us anymore. So it's good for us to actually immerse ourselves into the Jesus story, immerse ourselves so we can feel the grief that Jesus had to suffer for us and also experience the joy that he defeated death and rose again, and we can be with him. 
We need to do that. Now, of course, not all of us can have this experience all the time. It's, it's a very time-consuming process, and we're all very busy. But let me encourage you in other ways to immerse yourself in the Jesus story more and more so we can understand this grief and move past it to the joy of knowing Jesus resurrected. Now, we're all very busy people. We've got, we've, got to, we've got to work, we've got to study, we've got to send our kids to things, and we've got to look after our parents. We've got so many things going on in our life. Let me just give you one simple way to immerse yourself in the Jesus story, and that is to redeem your commutes. Right? We're always driving here and there for various reasons, and oftentimes in those commutes, we just sort of read a newspaper or we check Facebook or we listen to talkback radio. All good things to do. But on some of those commutes, let me encourage you to immerse yourself in the Jesus story. Um, why not uh, listen to the Bible being read to you? Um, uh, uh, Bible, uh, BibleGateway.com, you can actually get them to read the Bible to you. Maybe you can do that on your commute instead of just listening to talkback radio. Maybe you could download a sermon to listen to from our church, from another church, a good church. Um, something like gospelcoalition.com is a good place to find some good sermons. Or maybe just put on some music. Instead of your regular music, put on some Christian music and sing along to it and be encouraged by it. Immerse yourself in the Jesus story so that you can understand the grief, understand that joy, and let this joy propel you into your week of life. All right, well, that's the first thing that Jesus talks to them about, this timeline. The next thing he says to them is, you're going to experience this joy, but you're going to experience this joy as you actually interact with the Father. And when you do, your joy will be complete. Come with me to verse 23. It says this, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I'll no longer use this kind of language that will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that we'll ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to my Father. Well, the second part of the question that the, the, the disciples were asking was in a little while, yes, we sort of understand that now, but he says he's going to the Father. What's going on there? And Jesus actually says, you know what, I'm going to the Father, and on that day, you will go to the Father as well. And you can actually interact with the Father directly. You won't have to go through me. You just interact with the Father directly. And when you do, your joy will be complete. In fact, he says, ask for anything in my name and it will be done. Now, think, wow, that is one massive promise from Jesus. Ask anything in my name and it will be done. So we should be asking God for uh, a Rolls Royce or a fantastic uh, a pay rise or a Learjet. No, we're, we're, the sky's the limit. We can ask for anything in Jesus' name. Is that what it means? Well, no, of course not. We've, we've touched on this before, but Jesus says you can ask for anything in my name, in my name. Now, what does that in my name mean? Well, it means you can ask for things that Jesus would actually want for you because he loves you, he knows you, he knows the world, and you can ask him for things. And if it's what Jesus wants for you, he will give it to you. Um, over Easter again, um, one afternoon after church, uh, my kids came, my older two kids again, 
came and said, oh, can we have a hot cross bun for afternoon tea? I said, well, you've had a lot of sugar this morning. I saw how many hot cross buns you ate at morning tea at church, and uh, I'm pretty sure I've seen you eat a lot of sweet stuff past that. And so I said, no, you can't. You know, just have something else. And I said, oh, but mummy said, mummy said we could have a hot cross bun for afternoon tea. I was saying, really? Would mummy have said that? No. Mummy saw how many sweet things you had for morning tea, and I'm pretty sure she wouldn't. So I checked with Anne, and sure, sure enough, she did not say that they could have a hot cross bun. But you see what they were doing? They were actually coming up to me and saying, hey, Give us a hot cross bun in mummy's name. <laughs> mummy said that we could have a hot cross bun. Give it to me. I said, no, mummy loves you enough not to give you too much sugar in the day, and I love you enough not to give you enough sugar in the day, so no, you cannot have it. And that's what Jesus is saying too. In fact, earlier on in Jesus' ministry, he actually says, you know what? Human fathers are generally good, and we give our kids what's good, but we don't give them anything. How much more does a loving heavenly father who knows everything and who knows exactly what's good for us, how much more will he give us good things? In a part of the Bible called Matthew 7, it says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God will give you anything in Jesus' name if it's good for you. He won't give it to you if it's bad for you, because he loves you too much for that. So what exactly is good for the followers of Jesus? Well, we've seen this language before, haven't we? In chapter 14, uh, Jesus says, Ask me anything in my name so that the Son can glorify the Father and be given to you. A good thing for Christians to do, for a God who loves them so much, who cares for them, who made them, who sustains them, who sent his Son to die for them, is actually to honor this God and to glorify him. And when we want to honor this God, we can ask anything in his name and he'll give it to us so we can honor God. In chapter 15, we also saw that Jesus says, Abide in me and let my words abide in you. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Ask for anything in my name to grow as a Christian and I'll give it to you. Growth in God is a good thing that God wants for us and can ask anything in his name and he'll give it to us. And today he says, ask anything in my name and what's going to happen as a result of you asking, of you depending on God, you'll receive joy. If you want to grow your joy in God, ask anything in his name and he'll give it to you. You see, God loves us too much just to give us what we want, just like we love our kids too much to give them anything they want. But God will give us things which will help us grow like Jesus, glorify God, and receive this great joy from God. Now, there's a pastor, an American pastor called John Piper, and he actually says, oftentimes Christians, we see prayer as a household intercom, but it really is a wartime walkie-talkie. Oftentimes he says, Christians, think of the, uh, the prayer as a household income. We press the buzzer, bzzz, and then Jeeves gets on, and we say, Jeeves, get us our dinner. And Jeeves gets us our dinner. Jeeves, get us, some, get us a car. And Jeeves drives the car out. Or God, give me health. God, give me comfort. God, give me money. None of these things are bad in themselves, but we drive the agenda, and we ask God. And John Piper says, no, it's not like that. God has put Christians into this world for a reason. Three of them are to glorify him, to grow in him, and to receive joy from him. And prayer is more like a walkie-talkie, a wartime walkie-talkie. We need his support to complete these missions. We need the food, we need the water, we need the battle plans, we need all these stuff to sustain us so we can do what we're meant to do. And so we need to start seeing the prayer as a way of connecting to God, depending on God to do what we're supposed to do in the world.
Uh, and of course, this is very hard, I know. We're all very busy, but this is important, right? We make time for work, we make time for our kids, we make time for our parents, we make time to do all of these things, but we, this is important, we need to make time for it. But I know we're all very busy, so let me give you a couple of life hacks, if you like, on to how to actually uh, make prayer uh, a more integral part of your life so you can receive this joy from God. Um, one of them, of course, is to redeem your commute, right? You can not only just listen to things on your commutes, but also spend that time, just turn off the radio, just put down the Facebook, put down the newspaper, and just spend the train trip, the car trip, just praying to God. That's a good time to pray. Uh, another thing is to set aside a regular time. Uh, most of you already do this, but if you don't, this some, a good way to do it, instead of just trying to stick God into these spare moments of your life, why don't you say, look, every night before I go to sleep, I'm going to spend some time praying. Um, I can reflect on the day, thank God for things, praise God for things, ask God for things. Or maybe uh, that's when you're too tired. So maybe straight after dinner. After dinner's done and washing's done, the older kids are doing their homework, the younger kids are in bed, spend 15 minutes or so at that point and just spend time praying to God, depending on Him, receiving this joy from Him. And also the, another thing you could do is actually to, to make uh, prayer more, more accessible time-wise. Uh, I remember when we first got married, uh, 100 years ago, uh, uh, we, we used to try and pray for everything, and prayer was such a long and arduous time. And so sometimes we'd say, too late tonight, we won't pray tonight, we'll pray tomorrow. But that was a mistake. So through the years, we've decided we're going to pray smaller and shorter prayers, but we're going to structure them. So on a Monday night, on a Sunday night after church, tonight, we'll go home and we'll pray for our marriage, and we'll work our way outwards. Tomorrow night, we'll pray for our kids. Tuesday night, we'll pray for our extended family. Wednesday night, we'll pray for small group. Thursday night, we'll pray for St. Andrews. Friday night, we'll pray for our friends who are not yet Christians. And on Saturday night, we'll pray for our friends in ministry and missionaries. And then back to Sunday night. And by doing that, it's, it's far more easy, and we can actually do it. So let me encourage you to do that as well. Don't feel that you have to pray for an hour every night. If you can, great, do it. But if you can't, just pick different topics, pray that way, but depend on God and receive this joy from God. All right, lastly, Jesus says, promises them this joy, but he also says you're going to receive this joy, this peace, in a world which isn't going to be easy. But don't worry, my peace will be with you, my joy will be with you, I have conquered the world, and I will take you through those hardships to the stars. And we'll see this in verse 29. So come with me, verse 29. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have conquered the world. At this point in the conversation, the disciples said, Wow, we believe you, Jesus, because we've seen you answer our questions without us even asking. Wow, what a great magic trick, what a great miracle. We believe you now. And Jesus says, well, Do you believe me? I mean, you do believe me. You've been believing me in little incremental steps all through the last three years of ministry. And you do believe me. But you know what? In just a few hours from now, I am going to be betrayed and arrested and you will scatter. I'm going to be tortured and none of you will be there. 
and then I'm going to be executed. You're about to face a test in the next few hours, and every single one of you will fail this test. You'll, you'll run off. You won't be with me. But that's okay, because that's a part of a plan. Step by step, there'll be, there'll be a time of grief and fear. But during that time, trust me, I'll give you my peace, I'll give you my joy. And three days later, I will rise and you'll see me again. I'm going to take you through Good Friday all the way to Easter Sunday. And that would be true for the rest of their lives as well. Jesus would take them through the hardships, the troubles of his life, all the way to the stars. You see, Jesus doesn't promise Christians that they'll be taken away from a life of, of trouble. In fact, it's going to happen. But he does promise that his peace and his joy will be with us through those hardships, all the way through the stars. Now, some of you might be sitting here thinking, oh my goodness, I never realized about that, about Christianity. I always thought if you go to church and if you're a good person, then, then God will take away bad stuff from you and give you lots of good stuff. Oh no. In fact, Jesus says you're going to go through troubling times in the world. And so if this is new to you, it's fantastic you're here to hear it. Um, come back next week, hear some more. You're, you're most welcome. In fact, tonight we just saw um, a baptism with Amelia and Laura. And what, they, what did that baptism symbolize? It symbolized that they're going to die with Christ, they're going to suffer with Christ, and come out and be resurrected with Christ. You see, that's the Christian life, isn't it? Jesus promises us not that he'll take us away from trouble, but rather that he'll bring us through those troubles with his peace, with his joy, and take us to the stars. Now, oftentimes, as Christians, we... When good things are happening, we praise God, or more often than not, we forget God. But when bad things happen, we think, oh, God doesn't love us and love me anymore. God's forgotten me, and we get sad, we get angry. We, we ask God for help sometimes even, and he seems to not reply, as we heard from Amelia. You know, we've lost our jobs, and we're trying to find a new one, and it's just not coming. We're struggling with a chronic illness, and it just doesn't seem to be going away. In fact, it seems to be getting worse. We've got some really hard relationships in our life which are just not being mended. God must not love me anymore. God must not care. But he does. He promises to be with us. There's a pastor from many years ago. His name is John Calvin. And he says, It is therefore necessary that we should be subject from first to last to the scourges of God in order that we may from, heart, from the heart call on him. For our hearts are enfeebled by prosperity, so that we cannot make the effort to pray. John Calvin says sometimes when life is going well, when we're prosperous, it actually makes us weaker, not stronger. It enfeebles us. Because we've got the joy of this stuff, but we're missing out on the biggest joy, the joy from God. And we don't even make an effort to pray to God anymore when we miss out on this joy. He says sometimes, in fact, we get scourges from God. We go through hard times from God, and at those times, we're to choose to call out from the heart to Him. Ask Him to remove those hardships, if it's His will, but more importantly, ask Him to grow us in those hardships, to tr cause us to trust Him more, to cause us to seek His will more, to use even those hardships to, to glorify Him. And when we ask in His name for those things, he says, whatever you ask for, he'll give us.
God sometimes puts hardships in our lives so that we'll pray. And as we pray, our joy will be complete. We've seen a lot of things, haven't we? We've seen that Jesus has given them a step-by-step account of what's going to happen so that they can go through the grief and receive the joy. Will we immerse ourselves in the Jesus story more so we can live this life with more joy and let that joy propel us into the world? We've seen that as we pray, as we draw near to God, as we depend on Him, our joy will be complete. We make time to spend time with God in prayer and watch our joy grow. And Jesus has promised not to take us away from the world of troubles, but with us. He'll be with us through it with His peace and His joy. And as we go through those hardships, He'll take us to the stars. This same joy propelled those 11 men in that room through grief to joy to literally changing the world. What will this joy do for us in this room tonight? And how will we be propelled into the world to bless it with the truth and the love of Jesus this week? Amen.